Good times with mind bender, y'all. It's nothing but love. Gotta give a shout out to Nardwar, Peter Rosenberg, Rap Radar, Noah Shabib, and Drake. Last name Pam, first name Dawn, birthright Earth, birthplace Stars, wordplay my life's an action movie between dreamy scenes of smashing coochie. One man gang, banging groupies and slanging boobies. She lives in my lap, polishing the cannonballs and magnum Uzi. If sex is a weapon, I do mass destruction through every ass I'm touching. Ten minus, but a bit violent. Big boys, boys, and girls are the slashing. Cut them with the Excalibur. Stabbing her with a savage urge. Scandalous flesh massacre. The most grotesque vaginal cannibal Hannibal Lecter ever bred in Canada and beyond. International players at the Mendee Music for street movements of ghetto genius. Speak to sleep, you must be stuck in a piece. Stupid trying to bake coke and leaves and scheme to be Jehovah. Please, fake soldiers feel straight. Torture like Drake. Told you it ain't over. Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, brand new from Mindbender with Good Times. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Iron Maiden. And to get you all started in the Iron Maiden sort of thought 666, why don't we play some My Dog Popper from Montreal, Canada, from the album 668, Neighbor of the Beast. Here's My Dog Popper with Acid Casualty. <laughs>
a terrifying nightmare. They had tried the little green man to be crawling all over his body. Consequently, he was cold, clammy, dripping sweat. So he turned to his good wife, Nancy, and screamed, Nancy! Casper Weinberger on the telephone and says, Casper, 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 what's happening to me? Ron, take the green pills and stay away from the situation room. Your pills are foul well to the hands on you. 
again, we can end up invading Canada, for God's sake. It's just another acid flashback. Still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Yes, you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, and I, Nardwar, the Human Serviette, just faded down acid flashback by my dog Popper from the album 666 Neighbor of the beast and we have somebody on the line right now hello are you there caller i am here who are you this is metal queen as christened by you nardwar otherwise known as jill gratton from moncton hello metal queen how how the hell are you and who are you and how did i end up meeting you now you're the metal mummy the metal mother, yeah, uh, busy with three children, uh, and I'm a single mom, so it kind of keeps me on my toes. Not a whole lot of time for the metal these days, but we squeeze it in when we can. But you're called the metal queen because you love the metal, and I met you through sub-pop recording artist Eric's trip. Please take yeah, us yeah, back for I'm a moment. Yeah, friends with Mark Gadette from Moncton. Through grunge music, I met you, and which yes. is kind of ironic because you didn't really like the grunge movement. You didn't really like the punk movement, did no, you, Jill Bratton? No, I just I don't find it very fun, <laughs> so, which I get a lot of criticism for, but I like what I like, so hey, and, each to their own. And what was interesting is I met you in the mid-90s through Mark Gooday of Eric's Trip, and it was yeah. an interesting time, wasn't it? It was it when was. punk was very popular, and metal wasn't as popular. Could you explain a bit about that? Because 
I got together with you, Metal Queen, and we interviewed a whole bunch of metal bands, including Iron Maiden, coming up very shortly, an interview with Iron Maiden that oh, we did. Oh, so fabulous. Yeah, uh, we were really trying to bring it back. I mean, it was fun doing that with you and trying to get metal resurgence again and bring back all the hair bands, but they never really came back, although we tried. <laughs> it was the mid-90s, and it was when, like, Rancid were, like, totally huge, and Rancid were, like, selling out, and our favorite bands like Warrant and Danger Danger and Enough's Enough weren't doing so well, were no, they? they were kind of going downhill fast. So we were thinking, what is the true underground? It used to be that punk rock was the true underground, but at that period in time, punk rock was the popular thing. The true underground right then was the metal, so we gravitated towards it. Right, Metal Queen? I know, it's exactly right. And now, isn't it true that Steel Panther are the underground? What do you think about Steel Panther? I did an interview with Steel Panther. I saw that. I absolutely loved it. They make me laugh. It's hilarious. I mean, it's obviously like quite tongue-in-cheek, but they're really, really funny. Well, in that particular interview, I asked them about the Dick Liquor backstage passes. <laughs> what can you tell the people about the Dick Liquor backstage passes and Def Leppard Metal Queen? Well, they were um, a special pass that Def Leppard gave out on their tours way back in the 80s to uh, differentiate the groupie sluts from the um, true fans <laughs> so they could see who was, who was uh, on their plate for that night. And which sticker did you get, Metal Queen? <laughs> I didn't get one of those, no. Because remember, I'm kind of milking cookies, Metal Queen. <laughs> However, sometimes, and I don't want to give it all away, things change. What can you tell the people about this Iron Maiden interview we're about to hear from a couple years ago, Jill Grattan, well, Metal Queen? We did, we did that uh, long after my encounter with Iron Maiden, but I was sort of, I was taken a bit by surprise because uh, what exactly happened backstage Iron Maiden was not exactly what normally happened for me backstage. That's normally what I would see other people happen have happened. <laughs> and the era that we interviewed Iron Maiden in was quite an interesting era too, wasn't it? They were playing very small clubs at that time with their vocalist Blaze. It wasn't Bruce Dick That's Dickinson. Right. That's right. Yes. And Bruce Dickinson, uh, he, he's back now, is he? Is, I think he's is he back with them? Oh, yeah, he's back, and they're yeah. selling out arenas and everywhere they go. But in Vancouver, they were going to play the Commodore Ballroom Iron Maiden. And in Seattle, they played the Off-Ramp Cabaret, which is about 300 people. So it was pretty small gigs that they were playing. For that interview, give a bit of background story on what we're about to hear. I mean, as I mentioned, don't give it all away, but you were invited to Cleveland. I was invited to Cleveland. Yeah, I was invited to go with them on the rest of their tour. A friend of mine uh, was with me, and we actually said, no, we couldn't because we had to work, and now I completely regret that. <laughs> that would have been a really great story. I, uh, the story itself was okay, but uh, it, that would have been much better. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you ended up backstage at a maiden gig. And Metal Queen, tell the people of how hard it was to get backstage back then. Like, you did a lot of work, didn't you, to I get backstage? I did so much work, and, you know, I am I wrote a piece about it called Backstage 101, which I've been shopping around and trying to get published for the last few years. And it's basically uh, an article that discusses all of my trade secrets and how I worked my way backstage by not doing anything skanky. Like, uh, I had to tell a lot of stories to get backstage, but it worked, and I would go back, and I'd meet the bands, and I was a big fan, and 
that's what it was all about for me. It just, I guess I sort of felt that if I was working for a band and somebody was took that kind of initiative to try to get backstage, then I would be, you know, giving them passes too. And interestingly enough, a bit of foreshadowing, the Maiden interview reveals that perhaps your encounter with Maiden turned out a bit skanky, Jill. <laughs> not skanky but yeah it did kind of go down that route a little bit but it was it was it makes for a good story and again you're listening to the nardward a human serviette radio show and we're live on the line here with the meadow queen jill gratton and coming up is an interview that me and jill did a few years ago with steve harris of iron maiden now in the interview jill you mention Tony the photographer. Now, yes. back then, that was important to have a name. What can you tell the people about having a name to get backstage? Like, you used all sorts of information from, like, liner notes and magazines. You did hardcore research Absolutely. to get backstage. That's what it was all about for me, research. I know that you could look at the liner notes and you could see the different names of people who worked for the bands. And all you'd have to do is call around the hotels and ask for the names of the people who worked for the bands. Or you'd call the venue and just talk the talk and get a hold of one of these people, one of, one of the names of somebody who worked for the band, and you'd be all set. You'd just give them, give them the right line, and then you'd get in. And but it sometimes it wasn't always that easy. And it wasn't that easy also to get the names of the people, because now you dial it up on the internet. You had to, like, search out these magazines like you would buy a program guide and scan it, right? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Hard. It would have everything in it, so... Can you give an example of your calling technique, Jill Gratt, in the Metal Queen? Um, all right, well, if I was calling a venue, um, you would have to try to get past, uh, you know, whoever was working at the box office and try to sound official. I just, I would ask for the name of somebody in, in the production crew that I would have, and nine times out of ten, if you sounded authoritative enough, you could get them to patch you through. So if I said, you know, I want to speak to John Smith, uh, I might say, hi, I'm looking for John Smith. I'm from such and such and such company. And I would just say it really fast and be very firm. And uh, sometimes they would say, you can't give that, I can't give that number out. And I'd say, oh, I can't reach him at the hotel. Can you patch me through? And then I would get him. Once I got backstage uh, to talk to somebody, whether it be him or somebody else, then I might use the line of, oh, hey, I was partying with the band at such and such a place, uh, you know, several months ago. And they told me to try to hook up with somebody on the crew to, you know, get passes for me and my friends. And you made and sure it was totally accurate, didn't you? Like, you would read magazines and see that a band partied in Buffalo, yes. and then you'd reference that in your talk. Yes. Yeah, I'd make sure that if I saw in Metal Edge that the band had partied, yeah, in Buffalo or someplace uh, and in January of, like, you know, 1994 or whatever, I would make sure I had that information, and I, and I would give that out. Metal Queen Jill Gratton, you used a bit of a sexy voice, though, a little later on, didn't you? Sometimes it just depended on who you were talking to because some of some of the some of the different people uh, that you would talk to they were pretty rough around the edges and they'd be like oh yeah you want to come and you know see my band and you know what you got to offer the boys and then I might you know just make up the sort of the sexiness and be oh well I've got six girlfriends but actually I was taking like four or five guy friends and I think it's I think it's great Jill Meadow Queen 
Grattan. They are speaking to me, Nardwarta Human Serviette, live on a Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show from the aquarium. Because yeah, the aquarium, and actually, there's some children crying near me, but that's not mine. Mine are all watching the fish. <laughs> but I was thinking fish, shark, Led Zeppelin. There's been a lot of shark oh, and that's groupies. That's a great story, isn't it? I know, that's, that's a good one, but uh, that was a bit too heavy for me. I certainly wasn't involved in anything like that. But when you were backstage, Jill Metal Cream, Queen, Metal Cream, Metal, <laughs> metal Queen Grattan, yeah. did it ever backfire? You said it almost backfired once with Metallica, Chris yes. Stoner. What can you tell the people about that? You've got backstage. Uh, yeah, I'd reached somebody on the crew in his hotel, and I promised him all sorts of, you know, slutty girls. You know, I was pretending to be that, and I gave him a guy. Like, I had already received passes for myself under my own name, but I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of guy friends, and um, I, I basically gave one of their names. His name was Chris, so I just used that and pretended it was a girl's name, and then he just showed his ID at the will call and got all the passes. And when we were backstage, this great big burly guy, the guy in question, he comes back and he says, okay, I want to see some, some women. Where's this Chris? Chris, and, you know, he's, he's calling out the name, and my friend is sitting there cowering. Oh, no, what have you done? But luckily we didn't get caught, and we had a fantastic time hanging out with the band. So all, all's well that ends well. And not only did you get your friends backstage, Metal Queen, you actually got Metallica to play Moncton, New Brunswick? <laughs> well, sort of. Um, I worked out a petition, and we did a lot of fictitious names on the petition just to like get the numbers up but we uh, my boyfriend at the time and i we put together this huge petition and i called their management and by the time i had got my petition together and got a hold of the management they had said that they were already adding moncton to the tour date anyway but because of my efforts they definitely wanted to give me some some passes so yeah, so it all sort of came together that way, and we presented them with the pe- with the petition. I remember saying to Kirk Hammett that we actually we had you know spent a lot of time making up some of these names, and he's like, "Oh, right on! What a cool you know thing to do." So that made me feel good. <laughs> and they were really nice to you too, weren't they, Metallica? They were always nice. I, I've met them so many times, and they've always been really, really nice. They're, However, they're really good guys. Iron Maiden, you said that Bruce Dickinson wasn't the nicest guy. He wasn't. He was a bit. Um, he was a bit flip. He was a bit standoffish. Uh, I didn't find him to live up to, you know, my hopes because I really admired him as a vocalist, and I really had hoped to, you know, talk to him and sort of just brush this off. But, you know, sort of. I guess Steve Harris made up for it later. <laughs> and you, being a vocalist, metal queen, you mentioned the Steel Panther interview that I did years yes. before. You were in a band for a little while, Cherry Pie from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which is a warrant tribute band, which never did the song Cherry Pie. And you did a bit of singing there. What song were you singing there? Up all night. Oh yeah, Slaughter. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. That was such a fun night. <laughs> Those guys were fun. That was, that was the that was the 1990s, and you guys were kind of doing the tongue-in-cheek Steel Panther thing back right. then, like all the years back then. They were so ahead of their time. Steel Panthers influenced possibly Cherry Pie, and we're speaking here live to the Metal Queen, Jill Gratton, and Metal Queen. Coming up, as I mentioned, the interview we did with Iron Maiden, oh, Steve Harris. I can't wait! I can't wait to hear it again. Iron Maiden. <laughs> We went to a couple gigs together. Remember Def Leppard? What oh, happened? Yeah, that was so good. That was such a that was such a great night because they played three continents in in one day. And we were going to ask them about the Dick Licker passes, but what happened at the end? Remember that? 
um, didn't you get didn't you get thrown out? Was that what happened? Yeah, I knew. I know, and then my friend and I we sort of stayed and schmoozed a bit, but yeah, that, that was too bad. They sort of like gave you the march. That was, <laughs> and I tried to stick up for you, but they weren't having any of it. And then another time, you emailed Sebastian Bach. Oh, remember that? And he was so mean to us. And that was the time when you could actually email a star and they would actually email you back. What happened there? Why was Sebastian back mean to you? Well, he was mean because we were asking him a lot of, like, rumor-type questions, like you were trying to get to the bottom of. And he flipped out and wanted to, who is this? And he, he couldn't really understand the nature of the interview or just roll with it. And so... It sort of said to me, in other interviews I've seen him throw a tantrum in over the years, I, I've pretty much come to the conclusion that despite him being a fabulous vocalist that I fully admired, he's a complete dick. I don't know if he still is, but that's my overall impression of him. So now you live on the Sunshine Coast in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, I or do. on the Sunshine Coast. Any metal up there? Do you follow Joni Mitchell? Doesn't she live ah. up there? No, I do my own metal, but I'll tell you, it doesn't it doesn't resonate too well with my peer group. <laughs> the other parents um, that I meet, you know, at the school and whatnot, I really, really don't have any connection with anybody around where I live. So I tend to keep to myself and blast my metal, and my children love it, I love it, and that's what counts. What about the Eurovision Battle of the Bands, Jill Grattan? You still check that out every year? That's I incredible. Do, I do. I'm a big follower of all, you know, British music and especially the whole Eurovision that's so so big over there. I just love it. Love like, watching anything on that. Who's into that? Not many people over here into the Eurovision. Who have been no, some of the winners? There win- was a big winner um, when we were living in England a few years ago. There was a massive winner from, I think it was Norway, and they were a big death metal band. Coming up, an interview with Iron Maiden, Jill, Metal Queen, Grattan. Do you still follow Iron Maiden? Like, you well, sent me a link. Not, you sent not, me... as, not as much as I should. <laughs> uh, have you seen them since we did that interview? I haven't. I haven't seen a concert in many years because I've been, you know, way too busy with the children. But I would really love to take the kids to, you know, see their first metal show eventually. But you're still seeing a lot of metal in mags. Like, you were surprised about Iron Maiden in the Sears catalog? Oh, yeah, yeah. They had, uh, you know, I'm flipping through the Sears wish book with the kids, and I I see all, like, metal shirts, and, uh, you know, there's Iron Maiden and Motorhead and all sorts of crazy stuff, Misfits, and I'm like, what is this doing in Sears? Oh, my God, but, oh, well, I guess it's, you know, more available that way. (laughs) So coming up right now, an interview with Steve Harris from Iron Maiden right after this musical interlude from Iron Maiden. Anything else you want to tell the people about this interview coming up, Jill Metal, Kareen Grattan, and can people check out your blog somewhere? I tried to go to your blog, but it looked like you have to approve every person oh, that goes yeah, on to your no, blog. I had some issues with my blog, long story, and I'm just going to be revamping it elsewhere. I, I sort of got hacked into, and I just have to do a, do a revamp, so <laughs> it'll, it'll be coming. I've got, I've got a lot of things in the works, and I'm hoping that 2011 is going to be a banner metal year. So what can you tell the people? What can they expect about this interview coming up, Jill Metal Queen Grant? Set the scene, please. This is Iron Maiden playing a small club gig in Vancouver that was cancelled, so we did a phone interview with Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, right? Anything else you want to add yeah, about that? I, I think Steve Harris, uh, we definitely took him by surprise. Um, I really enjoyed his comment when he said to me, well, he's not married anymore, <laughs> but I wasn't too happy when he said that he, he didn't remember me well <laughs> as if he would but still little ego crushing there well uh, thanks so much jill metal queen grattan keep it's a on interview, though. it's a gem it's gonna be great 
Thank you. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil sends the beast with wrath, because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone. My mind was blank. I needed time to think to get the memories from my mind. What did I see? Can I believe that what I saw that night was real and not just fantasy? Just what I saw. You are Steve Harris of Iron Maiden. Steve, what happened? What happened the other day? We were looking forward to the gig, big yeah. time. Yeah, we were looking forward to it as well. It's pretty depressing, really, but um, we played in Seattle, and um, Blaze's voice was really shot, you know, he was, he's got, and so we had him checked out straight away after, after the show, and uh, he's got laryngitis and bronchitis, so, um, I mean, he's been, we've all been ill for a little while. On and off, but I mean, obviously, you know, the rest of us can kind of get through that sort of thing. But um, you know, voice is his instrument, and uh, that was it. He was told to rest 
for like 10 days, so um, it's unfortunate, but we've had to cancel like eight um, sold-out shows. And it's a real pain. And unfortunately, the next show is in Vancouver, B.C. Maiden returns to Vancouver and it gets cancelled. We're so bummed. Yeah, yeah, we weren't pleased about it ourselves, to be honest, but uh, it's not a lot you can do about it. Um, hopefully, we're going to be able to um, do a couple of shows in L.A. and then Japan afterwards, um, but at the moment, we're still... Every two days he's seeing the doctor and um, just getting an update um, each time. So, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to start back sooner rather than later. So the Vancouver fans of Iron Maiden, the big fans you have out there, can they expect something to be rescheduled? This big gig that's going to happen at the Commodore. Well, if we, re if we reschedule, it's going to have to be, um, like, fairly late on, like, in late September, because after this we go to Japan. We're already scheduled to go to Japan, and then we've already got, got um, a load of European and South American fest uh, headlining a load of European and uh, South American festivals, uh, which we're already contracted to do. Um, and also India, so... Um, Boy, that's a lot of excuses not to play Vancouver, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think, you know, if we're going to come back and do it, we'll, we'll come back uh, like the end of September or something. I heard you put on a killer show at the off-ramp in Seattle. Um, well, it wasn't that killer because um, Blaze was really struggling with his throat, you know, so, um, you know, I mean... We saw some fans offers and they said they really enjoyed it, but I mean, I suppose it was a bit of a nightmare for us because we just thought, oh God, you know, he, he was really struggling and, uh, you know, it was obvious he was having problems. I mean, uh, as I said, he's had a cold for a while, but we've been on the road since September and um, he's managed to struggle through, you know, on a couple of things when we thought he was having problems before and he's got through it okay. We did a run of four shows before that one, um, uh, which were fine, we thought, and we thought he was going to be okay. And uh, we had a day off even before Saturday as well. And he, he, he was really, you know, he's always professional anyway. And he looks after, he didn't go out anywhere or he was looking after himself and stuff. And uh, But then we went and did the show and it was just uh, a nightmare. So I heard you were really tight. Like some, there were some skater fans at the gig that earned the band No Effects. Ever heard of the band No Effects, Steve, of Iron yeah. Maiden? Oh, yeah. They said you were as tight as No Effects. That Maiden was just kicking it out. Excellent. Really tight. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And that was at the Off-Ramp Cafe, wasn't it? The Off-Ramp in Seattle. Yeah. You were going to play the Commodore in Vancouver. I think the Commodore's a bit bigger. How is Eddie doing these days? Is Eddie fitting into the things Steve Harris of Iron Maiden? Well, he's not fitting into the gigs we've been doing in, uh, in the States and in Canada. We'd, we'd actually used him in, um, in Montreal and Quebec because they were bigger venues. Um, but then we shipped him off to Japan because we, you know, we couldn't physically fit him in a lot of the shows we were doing after that. But... Uh, yeah, maybe next time we come back, we'll, we'll be able to use him then, hopefully. What's it like to be without Eddie? You know, Iron Maiden and Eddie being together all these years, and suddenly, you know, Eddie's gone from you. Well, you know, there's, you know, there's enough guys in the band who are ugly enough, so we can get by without him. A big decision for kids, I think, in the early 80s was, you know, Maiden or Priest. And Jill here is joining us in the interview. And Hi. Jill, you have some kind of comments on it. You know, you were either a Maiden fan or you were a Priest fan. Always, always was like that when I was growing up in junior high school and high school. Everyone had the Iron Maiden back patch or the Judas Priest back patch. And it was like kind of a big rivalry thing. Did that happen between the bands almost? Did you feel that you had a rivalry with, the, with Judas Priest or were you no, on no. good terms? Not from our point of view, no. I mean, I don't see no reason why you couldn't have been into both but I, <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of people obvi obviously were into both but I mean it was always that big no, like you were kind of hassled is better Iron Maiden's better like it was always yeah, I best. liked I, I loved Maiden but everybody was like you should like Priest there was kind of a big rivalry between the kids yeah I wasn't aware of that actually I was more of aware of um, when we supported Kiss actually in Europe there was more of uh, a rivalry between Kiss and Maiden fans but I wasn't aware of anything with, with Priest but uh, to me I mean you know it's 
I suppose it's all good fun, but, you know, I mean, there's no one it would be rivalry with any band, as far as I'm concerned. Well, we're wearing our Iron Maiden back patches right now, absolutely, right here, proudly. Absolutely. And we're speaking here to Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, unfortunately, who cancelled in Vancouver last week. You were going to be bringing your new vocalist, Blaze, with you to Vancouver. Yeah. What do you deal with, or how do you deal with people that say, you know, I can't listen to Maiden unless it's Bruce? How do you deal with those people, those fanatical fans? Um, well, we haven't really had too much of that, I mean, to be honest with you, and anybody that has come to a show thinking that, I think within the first three or four songs they've been, uh, you know, they've changed their mind anyway. But I mean, we used to get that when, when we first changed from Paul Diano to Bruce, so I think, you know, people just have to, you know, give it a chance and listen to the new album and, uh, and give it a chance and then come out and be open-minded, you know, rather than being sort of, uh, oh, you know, I'm not sure about this. But, uh, uh, Steve, I have a friend in Toronto who's a huge Iron Maiden fan and a uh, very big Bruce Dickinson supporter, and he went to see you in Toronto just recently and said Blaze blew him away and th he thought he was incredible and his mindset is now totally changed. So yeah, I think it's, it's, there's been a lot of, on this whole tour. We've been touring since September all over the world, and the reaction to Blaze has been amazing. I mean, uh, you know, he's a, he's a really strong singer, and he's... he's he really wants to be up there on stage, you know, as, as do the rest of us, and it makes a big difference. How do you deal with all the fans that are so fanatical? For instance, on the internet, there are some people that have gone through every single song on a new Iron Maiden album and made comments on every little song and kind of like slagging Blaze as a singer. Stuff like, you know, the aftermath. There's comments that go like, what is this? The Scorpions? This guy's voice is really irritating. A little ACDC shit now. You know, cannot tell this chorus from a previous tune. Hmm, should we be fighting at all? I could hear Strange. Back to the Scorpions intro. Brain Dead Melody. Rock and roll solo, and it sucks. Hmm, must be Yannick. Couldn't even tell Yannick from Dave. Recap chorus. Like this, you know, this total dissection of Iron Maiden. Yeah, but people that get on the internet, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're an Iron Maiden fan. It could be just someone who just wants to just uh, stick the knife in. But, I mean, I've been reading most of the internet stuff. I had a printout of it, a big water printout, and... Uh, it's interesting you pick out something like that, but I mean, like 99% of the stuff is favourable, so, you know... Uh, no, this guy loves a lot of stuff, like he loves the old stuff. I guess the new stuff, he's really taken it apart. I guess I'm curious, so Steve... Well, there's only been, uh, to my knowledge so far, there's only been a couple of detrimental uh, things on there. One other one was, was a detrimental comment as well, which is, you know, one's fair enough, you know, to have their opinion, but as I said, you know, most of it's been uh, really good stuff, so... Yeah, like, at the end of the day, we do what we do, and if people, you can't satisfy everybody, so um, if people don't like it, I or whatever, then that's, well, well, you know... I guess having these super fans must be kind of wild because with all the history that Iron Maiden has, Steve, you know, people like this guy analyze it, you know, E, G, C, D, E, G, C, A, D, C, you know, and he goes, you know, every little bit is analyzed. What is it like being analyzed so much, you know, having such a history and having you, such expectations? You can't take too much notice of it because you've got to please yourself first and otherwise you'd never do anything different or, you'd, you know, whatever, or you'd be trying to, you know, just go back over old ground and do stuff from what people like from, from earlier stuff or whatever, you know, you, you can't uh, actually listen to too, too much. I mean, we, you know, we, have, we read it and we take it on board or whatever, but at the end of the, the, you know, the day, we've got to please ourselves first. How about the record label? What exactly did Capitol Records do to you? Didn't they kind of say, no, Bruce, goodbye? And this is after you'd sold like 40 million records for them. They're real assholes for dumping you guys into Maiden. Well, actually, you got it completely wrong. We actually bought ourselves out of the contract because we didn't want, you know, they didn't dump us at all. I mean, we're still with EMI um, in the rest of the world. 
um, and with Capital, we just didn't want to stay with a company who didn't believe us in, it, in us anymore because of the people that signed us back to Capital, because we went to Epic for a couple of albums and went back to Capital again. And the people that was there signed us back, they either left or were, were fired or whatever, and we just didn't want to take the risk going with a company that, that uh, didn't believe in us. So we, we What did they want to do with Iron Maiden? What was their idea for Iron Maiden? Well, they didn't really want to do a lot. That's the problem, you know. So we thought, well, we're not going to um, take the risk of bringing out an album, on a, even though it's on a major label. We didn't want to... Um, take the risk of, of having an album come out with people who don't believe in us. We thought we'd rather go to an independent who do believe in us. But as I said, the rest of the world was still with uh, EMI anyway, so... Um, and in the rest of the world, we've had, like, top ten albums all, all over the, you know, the world, and, uh, in fact, quite a few number one albums with this album, so, across Europe, so... Um, I guess the main thing for any doubt for any doubters, they should really get out and see the show to really appreciate what you're doing. Well, they should get the album first and give it a good few listenings because it's not an instant album. It definitely takes a few listenings, I think. And uh, and then yeah, come and see the show. But uh, obviously um, at the moment it's a bit difficult to do that when we've we've had to pull out a few shows. But hopefully we'll be able to come back and reschedule. Was it hard to buy? Was it hard to buy yourself out of that contract? Like, do you still have any money left at all, Steve? Are you still rich? Are you still doing yeah. okay? Well, it, it, it did cost a few, but I must admit, because we bought all the back catalogue back as well, so, um, you know, we had to put up a fair bit, but uh, I've said that, we've done, a, you know, another deal, and, and you know, we're, we're okay, and uh, the, the back catalogue is doing real good as well now, so... And you personally are doing okay? Also. You're Sorry? doing okay for money? Well, not really, because I've just come through a divorce, so... <laughs> so, no, but, uh, no, I'm okay, I'm certainly, I'm all right, you know, I mean, but... Uh, I'm, I'm not doing it because of the money. I'm doing it because I love playing. Otherwise, I would have given up long ago. Well, compared to other, you know, contemporaries, compared to priesters, etc., do you think you're doing okay? Yeah, we'd, you know, I mean, Christ, you know, I can't complain. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I'm getting, as far as I'm concerned, I'm getting paid for doing my hobby, you know, so... Totally uncompromising. You guys never compromise, do you? Iron no. Maiden never compromises. No, we never do, no. Would you We're ever... stubborn like that. So you'd never sell out and go punk at all, would you? No. No, definitely not. Because a lot of bands nowadays, you know, are jumping on the punk bandwagon. But Maiden, you'd never go punk, would you? No, we just do what we do. We've got the best collection of, uh, of songs we can at any given time. And uh, people either like it or they don't. And they take, a, take us or leave us for what we are. So our attitude now is the same coming to the States and Canada as it was 15 years ago when we first came over. So... Maiden will never die, though, I don't think, will it, Steve, of Iron Maiden? Well, they'll only die when we decide to uh, lay down and die. When you actually die. Like, Maiden will yeah. never die. Like, this guy I knew named his kids Twisted Sister and Iron Maiden. That was their names, Twisted Sister and Iron Maiden. <laughs> and, and there's a band from Montreal as well called My Dog Popper who have a tune called 668, Neighbor of the Beast. Yeah, right. You've really rubbed it off on a lot of people. Like, yeah. you were never glam, were you? Were Iron Maiden ever glam? No, I don't think so, not really, no. We never was into the makeup and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, you know. You were metal, M dot E dot T dot A dot L. Metal, you were just metal. You guys were kind of older and wiser than the rest of the guys, weren't you? You were real metal, weren't you? Well, I don't know what we were. We're just doing what we do, I'd like to say, really, but uh, it's not the people like you to analyze it, I suppose. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, we just enjoy what we do, and... It, you, know. you had wasted years. That's an incredible tune. I mean, that is the ultimate Iron Maiden tune. Don't you think Steve of Iron Maiden wasted years? No, 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 no. I love it. It's so great. Yeah, it's not a bad song, yeah. Not bad at all.
Spandex at all? Uh, only when we go to bed, but uh, you know, not on stage anymore. When did that stop? Um, I don't know, really. Probably when we grew out of them, I suppose it probably, uh, you know, got too big for them. Do you think? Uh, the seams and stuff. Do you think long hair is necessary for Iron Maiden? You know, I personally love the kind of golden page boy locks that Iron Maiden have personified over the years. <laughs> what do you think about those? Um, I don't know. I suppose I'd love, uh, love it all off if I got fed up with it, really. But you know, I don't think it's necessary. But. Uh because, Jill, you love long hair, oh, don't you, Oh, long band? hair rocks. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just, it's not really the hair that makes the band. It's, it's the band that makes the band, but it the looks... Band that makes the hair, yeah. It looks great. <laughs> when I also think of Iron Maiden, and we're speaking here to Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, when I think of Iron Maiden, I kind of think of that, you know, that page boy medieval haircut thing. Do you collect anything ancient, you know, like swords or castles? Um, yeah, I've got a few castles and a few swords, yeah. Whereabouts? Really, please elaborate. <laughs> Toy ones, of course, yeah. Oh, no. So you, you don't have your own no, castle? I am into uh, old buildings and castles um, that sort of belong to, the, I mean, you know, belong to the English heritage, so I go around looking at old buildings, castles and stuff. I'm interested in all that kind of stuff, but... Uh, so you watch the Antique Roadshow, then? No, not really, no. No. Have you ever been to Jimmy Page's house at all? I haven't, but I'd like to. That's the Satanist house, isn't it? Um, I don't know about that, but I think he's got a very old house, so I'll be interested to see that. Well, what's the deal between Iron Maiden, Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, being declared Satanists in Chile? You were declared Satanists in Chile? Yeah, well, they're a bit of sort of, uh, I mean, a bit late, really. Um, I mean, it was 1982 when we did the Number of the Beast album, and uh, so I think they're a bit behind the times. But, uh, you know, this time they're actually going to let us play there, so I'm looking forward to going and playing there. We're doing a, a festival down there in September, so that'd be good. Your drummer, McBrain, he looks pretty crazy, doesn't he? He's got a crazy look. Yeah, he's, he's, that's, he's not well, yeah. Did he ever break his nose at all? Uh, a couple of times, yeah, I think so. Had it broken for him, yeah. Because then looking at him, it's kind of the last thing in my mind would think that, like, Iron Maiden would have groupies. What is it like having groupies? What are your groupies? Do you have many groupies in Iron Maiden, Steve? Uh, um, well, I think our audience is 95% uh, guys, you know, so uh, we don't get too many of them, I must admit. How do fans make it backstage if they want to meet Iron Maiden? Uh, you just lost the road crew, that one. They're in charge of that? Yeah. Have you ever succumbed to any temptation at all, Steve Harris of Iron Maiden? Well, if I did, I wouldn't tell you, would I? Oh, really? <laughs> well, actually, Jill has this little story. has a little story on that. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I should share this or not. But Steve, let me say thank you for a very charming evening in Toronto about uh, four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you 
I don't want to put you on the spot you here. Didn't, you didn't give me your phone number, sorry. <laughs> no, no. You invited me to Cleveland, but I had to decline, unfortunately. But thanks very much for a very nice evening. I've always wanted to tell you. That's quite all right. I don't remember it, but quite. <laughs> I didn't think so. That's that's the hardest part about it. Jill did get to see your bus, though. Yeah, we sat on the bus, um, my girlfriend and I, with you and uh, some of your other road members. And a guy named Tony, he was a photographer for you. Oh, Tony Mottram, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were having yeah. a great time chatting, hanging out. It was great. How did you How did you get backstage, Jill? Well, the thing is, one of your road crew came up and asked my girlfriend. Yeah, said, "Come join us on the bus." And okay, no problem. And you got on the bus, Jill. Continue on. Uh, I don't know how far we should go with this. <laughs> what I don't know. This is kind of personal information. Yeah, I could. I could. I could get you in a bit of trouble, but I don't no, want to do that. Me. No. It's okay. We're talking. You're talking to Canada. Go ahead, Jill. Don't get me in any trouble. Won't you, Well, let, oh, really? <laughs> well, you were married when I was there, so I wasn't sure. So you were on the bus, Jill? I was on the bus, drinking, talking, hanging out, and um, we got a little cozy. <laughs> And let's just say Jill now is the number one Iron Maiden fan, Steve. I always, ha I have to say now that I am for sure. So thank, you've you've get really given Jill a real special moment together. Like there's a picture of you guys together here. Yeah, I have my Polaroid. Describe yeah. it to him, Jill. I don't know. It's just a happy little meet and greet well, if you've picture. Got a Polaroid, you better send it to the Sun in England. They'll print it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> They'll print anything. Yeah, that's right. Steve, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate that. Why should people care about Iron Maiden? Why should people care about Iron Maiden moving on to the year 2000? What's important about Iron Maiden? I don't know. It's a very good question. Maybe you should ask some fans to phone in and you can ask them. All right. Well, keep on rocking the free world and do 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 All right, mate. do 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 yeah. So there we have it, Jill Grattan, Meadow Queen. You meet Iron Maiden once more, right, Meadow Queen? Rock on with Iron Maiden. Now, you have met Iron Maiden before, Steve Harris, namely of Iron Maiden. Explain that to listeners. Explain the purpose of us doing this interview with Iron Maiden, please, Meadow Queen. We wanted to see if he was going to remember me. He was, you know, he didn't remember his liaison with me. What the hell's going on? What did you do with Iron Maiden? I hung out in the bus with Iron Maiden, a couple of the different members, including Steve Harris, who I got to know actually really well. And you're normally a milk and cookies girl, but all this talk about metal kind of got Steve aroused, didn't it? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of what happened, definitely. I wanted to talk about metal. He didn't want to talk about metal. He wanted to talk about something else. And let's just say the arousal carried him all the way to the metal queen. Woo! So, metal queen, you met Steve Harris intimately a few years ago in Toronto, right? Absolutely. And just now on an Arbiter Human Spirit radio show, how were you satisfied with Steve Harris, the man that you met a couple years ago? He sounded really tired, actually. He wasn't like the guy you saw no, before? No, 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 he didn't sound well. I mean, obviously, we'd been drinking and things were a little bit uh, on a different level, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk to him again. I'd love to see him again. Do you think person, he remembers you? Do you think he remembers the time no, he had no. with you together? To be honest, no. Metal Queen? No, no, and most, uh, most bands on the road don't, and that's unfortunate, but, I mean, it's a fact of life. So the next time you see Steve Harris of Iron Maiden, what are you going to say, Metal Queen? I'm going to run and say, you didn't remember the Metal Queen, so you don't get to be with her again. <laughs> and you were the Metal Queen from Toronto, and you really love Maiden, don't you? You oh, love Maiden. Oh, on, Iron Maiden. No, you just tell the listeners, let's go out here on an Art of a Human Serviette radio show here with the Metal Queen. Let's just go out here with your rendition of a great Maiden tune. This shows why you are the Metal Queen, right, Jill Grattan, Metal Queen? Oh, totally. Rock kick, on, Iron Maiden, kick, all the way. Kick it out. Kick, kick, kick it out.
Go! He's walking like a dead man. If he had lived, he would have crucified us all. Children of the damned. You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard Children of the Dam by Iron Maiden, and before that, an interview with Iron Maiden, done by me, Nardwar, the Human Serviette, and Metal Queen, Jill Gratton. Right now, going to play something from Paul Anthony and Samantha's Christmas album. This came out a few years ago, and we're going to play the track It's Christmas Time. One, two, three presents Christmas is extraordinary. And I wanted to mention that Paul Anthony right now has just released today, in fact, he just handed it to me today, the brand new DVD compilation of his show, Talent Time, Season 1. Now, when you open up this DVD, it's got three DVDs in it, and it's 11 hours long. Talent Time runs... Every Wednesday, I think it is the first Wednesday of every month at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Paul Anthony's Talent Time. And check out this endorsement from VancouverIsAwesome.com. The single best live event in Vancouver. An unforgettable, epic event night of entertainment by Paul Anthony. So his brand new DVD is out. Check it out if you can. It's at all the record shops in Vancouver. I got mine at Zulu Records. Again, three DVDs, 11 episodes of Talent Time. It runs on a Novus network. That's the network that you actually see in your actual apartment, which is pretty amazing. 4.5 hours of bonus footage, deleted scenes, a whole bunch of great stuff. Paul Anthony's Talent Time DVD out now. I'm just amazed. Like, when was the last time you saw a local release have three DVD, like three DVDs, Paul Anthony's Talent Time. So we're going to play something right now, not from Talent Time, but that Paul did a few years previously with Samantha. This is Paul Anthony. And Samantha Lynn with its Christmas time, to which I'm going to follow up with Iron Gypsy from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, in honor of Iron Maiden on Denardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. It's Christmas time, time for us to get together. Even in the coldest weather, the better, the better, just wear a sweater. It's Christmas time, time for us to get together. Even in the coldest weather, the better, the better. Wear a sweater. Mom's got Chris sandwiches in the oven, filled with lots of loving. 
Dad's got fire in the place Giving everyone a happy face The sense of Christmas near Full of Christmas cheer You can smell the turkey's fear But I'm really glad I'm here Because it's Christmas time Time for us to get together Even in the coldest weather The better, the better Just wear a sweater It's Christmas time Time for us to get together Even in the coldest weather The better, the better Just wear a sweater It's better to give than receive We're going out for Christmas Eve Playing in the snow Calling everyone we know How much more can I eat? I gotta take a seat Get off these aching feet Another relative to greet Because it's Christmas time Time for us to get together Even in the coldest weather The better, the better Just knit a sweater It's Christmas time Time for us to get together Even in the coldest weather The better, the better Knit a sweater It's Christmas time, time for us to get together. Even in the coldest weather, the better, the better, wear a sweater. It's Christmas time, time for us to get together. Even in the coldest weather, the better, the better, wear a sweater. It's Christmas time, time for us to get together. Even in the coldest weather, the better, the better, knit a sweater. Cause it's Christmas time! Wear a sweater! <laughs> we can't use that.
From Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, from Iron Gypsy, that was Shaker. And before that, from Paul Anthony and Samantha Lynn, we heard It's Christmas Time, again in celebration of the Christmas release of Paul Anthony's Talent Time. Witness the birth of what is gone to be hailed as a phenomenon by the Vancouver Sun. Talent Time is a monthly live comedy variety chat show that is also a cable access TV program. It features the country's greatest comedians sprinkled with fascinating local people and novelty acts. Yes, Paul Anthony has done it. He's released his DVD, three DVDs worth. Like it's a DVD, it's got three DVDs in it, 11 hours worth of stuff. More information, talenttimetv.com. That talenttimetv.tv, actually, not com. Talenttime.tv. Talenttime.tv, Paul Anthony. This weekend, there's a rock and roll gig happening that you should take note of. It's a book launch for Chris 
Walters book, and Chris Walters is going to be on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show next week talking about his book, Arg Fuck Kill, all about the Dayglow abortions. But he has a new book out called Sins of the Poor, and there's a book launch for it going to be happening tomorrow at Funky Winker Beans, and that's 35 West Hastings, featuring Legally Blind, starting at 10 p.m., then Alcoholic White Trash and Aging Youth Gang. That's Chris Walter's book launch tomorrow for Sins of the Poor, and that's at Funky Winker Beans, 35 West Hastings. And Chris, next week, will be on an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show talking about his book all about the Daigle abortions, Arg Fuck Kill. It's amazing, all the books that Chris can turn out. All excellent reads. And please tune in to an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show for an examination of Arg Fuck Kill. Also wanted to point out, next Thursday at the Red Gate... Come to the Beetroot Christmas Ho Ho Down. It's going to be happening next Thursday, December 16th at the Red Gate featuring Boogie Monster, the Benitos, and the Albertans, plus Sentimental Sock Hop, a dance party featuring your local favorite celebrity DJs. And that's put on by Beetroot Magazine. Beetroot Magazine. Next Thursday, December 16th, the Red Gate, Boogie Monster, the Benitos, and the Albertans. Right now, I'm going to play something brand new by the Brutal Knights from Toronto, Ontario, featuring Nick Flanagan. The singer of the band is Nick Flanagan. I'm going to play some more of his stuff next week. He has a whole comedy album out as well. But right here, here are the Brutal Knights with wings, followed up by some luxury Bob. All on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The Brutal Knights, wings! I've got a tapeworm, plus empty refrigerator. Go to the book, look at the menu. My eyes got seeing items, stomach want to do. Someone named me is hungry for a chicken food. I want wings. They are the only things. I need wings. The food of queens and kings. I want wings. Celery, carrot soup.
You're still still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And you just heard right there, Luxury Bob with House on Fire. And before that, the Brutal Nights with Wings. I'm going to end the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show here with something by Mike Edison. And Mike Edison has the spoken word slash rock and roll album which so does nick flanagan that we're going to play next week so i thought i'd play something similar this week to give you a taste of what nick flanagan's gonna be up to next week even though mike edison and nick flanagan have nothing in common but it's still kind of spoken wordy type stuff so i thought i would play that but before i play that i wanted to end with dwight twilly dwight twilly has something brand new out called green blimp on Burger Records. Dwight Twilly, I first became aware of when my friend Mark Kleiner from the band The Sister Lovers and Jungle told me about the amazingness of Dwight Twilly and his song Girls. Now, all these years later, I am presented with a vinyl copy of Dwight Twilly's brand new LP on Burger Records. Thank you, Burger Records, for sending this to me. So I'm going to play something by Dwight Twilly and Mark Kleiner of the Sister Lovers and Jungle. He was the fellow that got me into metal. And if I hadn't been into metal, you wouldn't have heard the interview we did earlier on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show with... Iron Maiden, and thank you, Metal Queen. So, Mark Kleiner, this song goes out to you. It's called It Ends by Dwight Twilly from his brand new LP, Green Blimp. And then, after that, a bit of Mike Edison on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show.
Number one, pornography. Number two, punk rock. Number three, drugs. That's not a resume, that's a crime scene. I didn't even bother to list my years working the wrestling beat. I didn't want to gild the lily. But man, I needed a job. I had Screw Magazine on the speed dial, so I gave them a shout. I figured they might be in the market for a smut peddler with a pedigree. It is harder than you might imagine to find someone to critique porn movies, at least someone sentient who still has their sight after years of chronic self-abuse. Man of steel that I am, I took that gig and began writing under the name Lord Zeppelin. Pornography is an illusion painted as reality, more fantastic than any James Bond movie or Star Wars. The sex in these movies doesn't exist. You could be the best-looking cable repairman in the world and carrying 12 inches of salty lunch meat in your shorts, but there's no way on God's green earth that you are ever going to end up having your mind or anything else blown by a raven-haired, double-breasted mattress thrasher with bee-stung lips, welcoming thighs and a dewy pedenda who answers the door in a diaphanous kimono with nine-inch heels caressing a bottle of baby oil. You have a better chance of becoming a Jedi Knight and destroying the Death Star. What's really scary about the porn movie business is just how geeky the fans who watch this crud really are. It may not be surprising that hardcore porn fans suffer from a lack of social skills, but what you probably don't realize is they can go toe-to-toe with comic book guy or a dozen triple-loving Trekkies and their knowledge of their hobby and its mind-melting minutiae. Fucking by its very nature is a repetitive business. You can bet that porn fans, real porn fans, can pontificate endlessly on the Rubik's Cube of multi-partner variations with Kama Sutra-like authority and discuss the subtleties of double penetration with the verbal alacrity of Gail Green deconstructing dinner at the Cirque. Thankfully, the screw style does not cater to such gentility. Reviewing seven volumes worth of Omar's anal adventures for our special Black History Month issue, Lord Zeppelin diffused. Omar spoke so much spizzle in this jizz fest, you'd think he had a jar of helmets hidden in his ass. It was about a year after the dawn of Lord Zeppelin when I was asked to become the new editor-in-chief of Screw, and I agreed immediately. Screw had gone belly up, run into the ground by its founder and publisher, Al Goldstein, the corpulent media whore and vociferous loudmouth. So filthy, so reckless in whom he would attack and screw that even other pornographers avoided him like a summoned server. Meanwhile, Screw's longtime art director, Kevin, had been approached to become a partner in buying Screw out of bankruptcy and relaunching it, and Kevin asked me if I wanted the gig. Now I love Kevin. He's a master of cock and mouth composites, a regular Picasso with the cut and paste magic jobs. Not only did he have the magic touch with the scissors, he actually enjoyed it. Tell the man that this was the week we were going to turn Tom Cruise's narrow white ass into a Hollywood dick depot or strap a dildo on Hillary Clinton and bung it up the rump of the Republican du jour and he would take to it like Chief Wiggum to a jelly donut. I looked forward to going to work every day. In fact, some days I'd wake up so inspired, gifted of such felicity of phrase that I could effortlessly cast a cover line that succinctly captured the gestalt of screw before even getting out of bed, and that I would skip happily all the way to work. 
Russian volleyball sluts. Zero gravity swingers. Super horny sex women go blowjob crazy. They all met with great public approval. That last one made us a bundle. We toured the celebrity frauds, hacks and hypocrites, Courtney Love, Dick Cheney, Michael Bloomberg, Katie Cork, and the stars of American Idol all felt our wrath. Madonna was a regular. But our best work was our patriotic broadside for the 2004 Republican National Convention, which was held in New York City at Madison Square Garden, right up the street from our offices. John Kerry is a big homo! We screamed on the cover, and then in a red, white, and blue banner, screw cells out. Welcome, Republicans. You had to figure that these out-of-town swine were all big-money pervs, and it was going to be a boom time for our advertisers. Chicks with dicks, enema specialists, discipline freaks, cross-dressers, and all the other hard-to-find indulgences that right-wing moralists go for when they hit Sin City. Inside the magazine, we featured a spirited four-page eye-popper called the Manchurian Cocksucker that featured John Kerry leading George W. Bush under the Yale University Skull and Crossbones logo. Arnold Schwarzenegger terminating Ralph Nader's ultra-liberal bunghole. Fat-ass Bolshevik muckraker Michael Moore spilling his seed in Fox Newsboy Bill O'Reilly's craggy face. One more picture of our fearless leader, President Bush, this time being terrorized, oh, but gently, by ass-banded-at-large Osama bin Laden. And Secretary of State Condi Rice, her martini glass tits chilling in the breeze, Captain Patriotic, star-spangled pasties, and wearing a beauty pageant sash that read, Miss Negro Congeniality, 1967. Sometimes it was hard to tell if we had gone too far. We were just trying to have some fun at the expense of, well, everybody. But after a million manufactured celebrity squack shots, unreality ran high, and it was impossible to tell if we'd crossed some sort of line. We were simply too close to the material to be a fair gauge anymore. So, one day we asked our friend John Holmstrom, the founder of Punk Magazine, and also a screw contributor, to come by the office so we could get his valued opinion. He took one look at us and said flatly, you guys are going to jail. It was the nicest thing anyone had ever said to us.